Yes. Great to be in your workshop at the ranch. I love it, Morgan. Man, to be here on a, a beautiful autumn day with the golden aspens in the back, the weather just about to turn. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Bart, we've traveled some miles together. We have. I, I count you as um, a very rare man in my life. Um, Jeremiah talks about these ancient roads. Mm -hmm. He says, follow the ancient road with the ancient path. Um, where, and that's where you'll find life. And you, you've helped show me that path. I want to have some conversation with you and ask you some questions about your story. Sure. Because I think there's a lot of young men like me, young kids, young marriages, young careers that are trying to walk with God trying to walk in their strength and um there's a lot of things misfiring mm -hmm. so um give me a snapshot of your life today give me we're, yeah so these guys can get to know yeah you. morgan I'm, i mean i'm i'm kind of out of my business world i stepped into ransom hard at the beginning when this started uh, a little over a decade ago what are we 12 years now mm -hmm. um about 12 years ago um i kind of still had one foot in business one foot out of business John's invitation says, hey, I think you're supposed to be a part of this. And um, within a couple of months, I exited my business because of the graciousness of my partner, a great believer and so forth. And and uh, I still have, still have business interests with him and he manages those for me, but it allowed me to step out of that and in, into this. And so uh, my world is in Southern California still where um, we have our distribution of of our allies at Ransom Heart requires me to be still in that part of the country, and I still have some interests there that that I, I maintain. But but I'm kind of back and forth, and then travel around um, and uh, connect with our allies around the country. So yeah, so I'm 62 years old. Um, I say I lost the thought. I'm 62 years old, and and um, I've I've found a new life that of what I love to do. And that goes way back to, I think, the beginning of my Christian walk because I came, I came to Christ in my late 20s, just about when I was 30. With just that transition is when I really found Christ. And uh, my faith before that was I really didn't know the gospel. So I, I really feel the birth of my Christianity was at the dawn of the decade of my 30s. Mm. And, and I came to Christ through a, a ministry of businessmen. Okay. And, um, and so that, that gave me a heart to go after guys because I, I had been one through that. Mm. And so that's where the birth of that, but, but the manifestation of it really didn't happen, even though I was busy in it, very driven in it, um, during that decade of the 30s. Um, the manifestation of that really happened at Ransom Heart, and that's what I want to do. I want to go after the hearts of men. Mm -hmm. I want to call older men into this battle who have that resignation, who have so much to offer. Yes. I want that part. I want to speak into the hearts of younger guys, but generally, I just want to go after men. Mm. So, Bart, for the benefit of some of these younger men and younger kings, let's rewind the clock back to the 30s. Mm -hmm. you know, I think of an iceberg where... You know, every iceberg, though, each one's unique. 10% right. is above the waterline, and 90% is what you can't see. Yes. And it's really a good metaphor for a man's heart. 10% is the external of his job, his context, his family. 
But 90% is really where the action is. The yes. motives, the battleground is right. always the heart. So let's go back to the 30s. Yes. Um, let's rewind the clock on your story and, and give us a snapshot externally. Where were you in the 30s? And then internally, what what was going on at the time for you spiritually? What were you thinking about or even emotionally? Yeah. yeah. Boy, a lot of things happened in my 30s. Um, we started our, our company, or building a development company in a, in a really very tumultuous time. Mm-hmm. Of um, Interest rates were 22%. That's Jeez. the rate which you could borrow money from the bank. Home mortgage rates were 17.5%. I mean, nobody could even qualify for a loan. Mm-hmm. We found a niche in affordable housing where we flourished, and the company was very successful. And my partner and I were kind of thrust into this world of success and pretty high profile. I mean, we were on the front page of the LA Times, the real estate section, pretty regularly with what we had achieved. And so as a young man, I just experienced a lot of success in my early 30s, but I didn't have a real foundation mm-hmm. of, of faith. And um, I, I was pursuing my faith. I had some good men around me, but I didn't have the categories that I live in now. Yes in my Christianity and in, in my worldview of, of, of my faith. Yep. So describe what that felt like <clears throat> externally. Yeah. You're, you're on the cover of LA Times. Yep. You're flourishing. And like yeah. you said, generally, God's favor is on the company, and people are looking at you. You're the poster boys of Orange right. County. Right. What did it feel like inside? Yeah, well, it looked great. I mean, I was leadership in my church. I was in leadership in the building industry association. I became the president of the largest uh, national association of home builders, the largest chapter in the U.S. And um, and then in our career, you know, uh, we were doing great. And so I looked really good, mm-hmm. um, but underneath was there was just something really missing, and uh, I really felt that I just I just had to keep driving harder and harder and harder because I felt I had to do all of this on my own strength. Mm. Um, and so young in my faith, I did not have that relationship with God to draw on His strength. Yeah. And so, boy, Morgan, I mean, it looked good, but on the inside, boy, I was just a young boy that felt pretty helpless, mm. felt pretty inept. And so that driving, you said you're driving, you're driving. If you could break it down to motive, what were you driving for? What is it that you were really looking for in your pursuit of home building? Yeah, I, I think it, it was, um, I mean, home building was just the context. I was looking for a father mm. that loved me. Wow, wow. And you didn't know that at the time. No. But no. you're saying now you can look now, back. I look back and, I, and that's what I was searching for, yeah. was that love of a father, mm. of like Chris and I going on this journey, yeah. you know, of what, what we experienced together as a father yeah. and a son. I, I didn't have yeah. that. And um, um, I, I just felt the only way to get validation in life was to perform and to perform well. Mm. So you did. You performed. You performed well. You're really successful. How much did that success? So there's Sir William. Hey, he thinks he's a dog. Yeah, he's a dog. We let him stay because yeah. he's a dog. Huh? Right, right. So you performed. You were successful. How much did your success and your performance answer 
the need for a father? Um, it became more and more empty the more I tried to perform. Wow. Um, it, it, it just, it was, uh, there was a collision that was, I was headed for mm. because I, I didn't have the capacity to just keep performing at a level where I thought I yes. needed to yes. because, you know, it's, it's kind of like pitching Major League Baseball. You're only as good as your last win. Wow. And so you just felt like you had to, you had to come up with another win. Wow. And, uh, oh, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a treadmill and it has no, mm. has no end except to just fall off of it and fall on your face, mm. which I eventually did. Yeah. Wow, Bart, I wanna pause there to something really profound you said. You're only as good as your last pitch. Mm. It's that idea, of, that idea of being on a treadmill. Right. And I think you're, you're, you're naming something that is universal to every man, but just so often goes undiagnosed with this idea of the false self in us. Right. This, this persona that we've created to find life outside of God and to answer our need for a father right. without going to the father. Um, it becomes less and less efficient to produce life. And it's just fascinating what you're saying, how you continued to be more and more successful and you performed right. and it got harder and harder and that need that you're articulating, that need for a loving father um, became um, less and less available in a way right. in your success. Right, right, right. Yeah, Morgan, I, I think, uh, oh man, I just there's, just, there's a lot of things that just wail up in me. I, I think about I think about some of the, a lot of the risks that I took, and part of it was this need to succeed more and more. So you begin to take more and more risk, and in, in our You're talking financial, yeah, risk. financial risk, yeah. And I'm t- talking about ma- mainly financial risk, but a lo- lot in the spiritual world too. But um, as as I think of my career, you know, just the need for another successful project, the economy's tapering off and you're saying, man, do, do I capture this last deal? Yeah. And you go do it and then you, you stub your toe and, mm. and, and it's a project that takes you down and we got taken down big time. Mm. Um, I, I remember in, in, the late, in the late 80s, we bought just a lot of property in Southern California. We were, we were, um, we were building our company up to join with some other companies. We we're gonna go public and that was gonna be our exit mm. strategy but we got caught in the trap mm. and um, we fell off the cliff with all of that. I mean, we had, we were personally guaranteeing like $50 million worth of, worth of debt and we got caught in that. And um, just that of how I navigate that with the success and, and, and trying to, um, to achieve when the market was moving away and everything was moving away, oh man, it was just, it was so diminishing to me. And, uh, and yet that need to perform was there. And, but, but the challenge is like, okay, I can, I can do this. Yes. I can do it on my own. Yes. We're, we're going to get through this and then we're really going to be successful. Yes. So it just drives you all the more. You take more and more risk. Yeah. And that's where I lack the character of, of trying to figure that out. Yeah. And, and it's so much cost. Yes. And I think, describe the cost to Tana, your wife, to Chris, your son, 
in that driving, I'm guessing that on the home front, it had to pay its toll or on other fronts. Yeah, what was yeah. The cost? Oh, the cost was, um, I mean, I, I, did, I did some things right in the decade of my 30s, and there's, there's some good things that came out of that. But the cost was um, in my marriage, and I remember one time uh, Tana said, hey, get home tonight, Chris has got something to share with you. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, I said, well, I've, I'll be home at nine o'clock. And she says, well, get home because he's got something to share. And, and I remember going home that night and uh, walked in the door and I said, is Chris awake? She says, no, he's, he's asleep. He went up and he waited as long as he could and he fell asleep. So I went upstairs in his room and mm. I, I'll never forget that night um, in his bedroom. There was, it was a warm summer night and uh, the moon was shining in his bedroom and it, it kind of illuminated his six-year-old body and uh, I, I remember I couldn't remember too much of those six years mm. of his life mm. and uh, I fell to my knees and and, uh, and just prayed I've got to be more intentional about his life mm. and it was a couple of years after that that we started meeting at Carl's Jr. but but there was all of that was just chasing success on my own mm. strength, mm. trying to get another win because that was my validation. Mm. And it just, it was a bottomless pit. Mm. Bart, tell me more about Carl. You were meeting with Chris at Carl's Jr. Yes. You made some shift yeah, I to made, turn your heart towards he Chris. Was, he was six years old. Okay. And um, I had... Uh, that night, I just says, I've got to get in his life. So I begin to look in my schedule to say, where, where can I get the margin to do that? And um, I wasn't only driven in business. I took all that drivenness in business and a young faith yep. and went to the church. Yep. And, and the church will gladly take all of that mm. and so put it to work. So the same man yeah. bringing the same questions, yeah. one's Christianity yep. and one's business. Right. I just, I just sanctified all of that in my uh-huh. Christianity, all mm. of that drivenness, and everybody loved it because you could right. perform. Absolutely. You could perform for the kingdom, and, right. and there's validation in that. Well, but, at least perform for the church. Right, exactly. But there's, there was just a lot of emptiness and all of that. But, but I actually quit a ministry. I was in leadership of this ministry that, that I came to Christ in. It was a business ministry. And so I quit that in order to get that margin. And then so two years later, we began to meet on Tuesday mornings when I cleared that space that we started meeting at Carl's Jr. that lasted eight years, which was such an important part of my fathering with him. So eight years every Tuesday morning. Yeah, counted it up. There was about 400 times that we met. We rarely ever missed. And and give me a picture of what was that like? Yeah, get him out of bed at 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay. By 6.30, we went to his favorite fast food restaurant, and, and he would go, uh, he'd always kind of waddle up to the, bu- to the uh, counter and say, I want a cheeseburger with mustard and pickles only and, <laughs> and, uh, and a Dr. Pepper, you know, and he'd say, don't tell mom, you know. And, Beautiful. And so we, we would spend two hours just talking about the things that would stir our hearts. Wow. This is where this dream occurred. Really? This, is where that, this is where all of this was manifested back in that time with Chris. Wow. Wow. Bart, obviously there was some shift. You have this deep question of this need for a father. Mm-hmm. And as you said, your success just kept growing, and, uh, and it wasn't answered. Take me into your story of where did that shift happen for you? 
um, I want to go back into the 30s, but before that, let's finish that piece. Where, where did you finally um, begin receiving the love of a father and the validation that your heart had been craving all yeah. those years? Yeah, Morgan. Uh, well, I, you know, you, you are, are going after the hearts of guys in, in the decade of their 30s. Yeah. It occurred with me 20 years later mm. in the decade of my 50s. Wow. That's a lot of and, miles and, the yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of it spilled over into the 60s, and it's where I currently am. But I think it's where I became, became involved in this ministry, walking with you guys in, uh, in, uh, in my faith in all of this, of trying to get our hearts back before we went after the hearts of men. And yeah. it was during that decade that, that I began to see the, just the wasteland in my soul of being fatherless. For, for most all of my life, mm. and, and just the concept of going back that I can have a relationship with God, mm-hmm. even at this point, and I can go back to those young places yeah. that were unfathered, and I can get healing yes. and restoration yes. and breakthrough. Mm. I'd love to hear a story, like maybe even the story... Um, the one that comes to my heart is doing the fence post mm-hmm. out here on the ranch when the yeah. father came for you. There's the That's fence. Right. I can That's see right the there. fence post right really? there. Yeah. Tell that story. Yeah. Like by way of example of really what, what's this look like? Right, right. Yeah, Morgan. I mean, we were talking about how that whole DVD series was so anointed. That, that was probably the most anointed day for me when I went out and we said, let's, let's do some... Um, Let's just do something that we want to do. And remember, each guy kind of went his own way. And I just said, hey, I'll go out and do a fence post because I, I love to work with my hands. And uh, went out there and was doing that. And the, the guy with the camera was out there and he was following me around. And I and, uh, got up on the pickup and I was with my journal. And uh, I remember God coming for me uh, in a very unfathered place mm. um, as I was doing that fence post. And then I was, I was reflecting on the, on the uh, tailgate of the pickup. Um, but I remember, I remember God came. That was the first time I had heard God say, I want to father you. Mm. Was on that DVD. That was the first time that that occurred for me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was such an anointed time and we, we got to capture it on film. Wow. So, Bart, going back to that decade of your 30s, um, love to hear more about your relationships. What was the nature of your relationships? What was the quality of your relationships or, or maybe even just your motives in the, at the time? Yeah. Uh, young in my faith, um, had good group of Christian guys mm-hmm. with, with me, but, um, and, and we wanted to go after the hearts of men. I mean, I was one through an evangelism. Uh, I was one through an effort of evangelism, mm-hmm. a businessman. That's how I came to faith. And so um, I wanted to do that, but, but just lacked so many categories. And I was so young in my faith that, that I didn't have the category of warfare, didn't have the category that we live in a larger story, didn't have any of those categories. And I, and I walked what I thought at that time was pretty closely with a group of guys. And, um, and we did a lot of things together. We went out and did a lot of adventures together. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was even about, I don't know, there was probably six guys we met every day. Every, well, not every day. We met every week, and we'd get together, and we'd pray together, and we thought we were walking together as what we would 
think of as a band of brothers. Mm-hmm. But, but there was one guy in there that um, for six years he had an affair. We didn't even know about it. Wow. It's because we didn't know each other's stories. Interesting. And, and so you're doing the Bible study. Yep, you're learning about yep, God. Praying for each other. But here's what the water line. I mean, things are, yeah, gaskets are popping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's because these guys didn't really know each other. Mm. And, um, and we, we really, I mean, that guy posed his relationship, but actually we were all posing. Mm. We were all posing. Wow. So if you could rewind the clock on relationships, what is it that you would have sought out in your 30s? What, what would the, how would you have retooled that so that you had the relationships that would have allowed you to thrive as a young man? Well, it could have been the same guys, yep. but I think the categories of, I think what we live in today in this message yes. is we live in a larger story. We live in a world that is opposed. Mm-hmm. That there's something that opposes our glory, but that we do have a glory yes. and that we are pursuing that. Yes. I, I, I didn't have those categories. We just, it was just kind of a legalistic walk of we're just going to hold each other accountable. Yeah. yeah. And that doesn't work. If that's the point of the story, that's not a large enough story to live mm. in. Mm. Just accountability. Mm. It'll always fail. Bart, you talked about posing. Uh, as you were sharing that, a story that you shared with me years ago about taking notes in a, in a meeting... Uh, came to mind. You recall that story? Yeah. Hear that story again. Yeah, I'd like to forget it. Yeah, but. I bet you would. And and here's the deal: is people will put you on a pedestal because what we do um, as men is we look at part of a man's life and we compare it to part of our life. Right. The enemy does that, right? right? Yeah. And he assumes because this part of your life looks. Um, or is going really well, we assume the whole package is great. And so to, to give some visibility to, now we all have areas that are under construction. I think right. this was one of yours in the 30s. Yeah, I was young. We were looking for an exit strategy out of the building business. And uh, so we aligned ourselves with similarly sized companies from around the country. And so we went to Wall Street. We came together as a group. We we're going to start a national home building company, go go uh, do an IPO, a public offering on Wall Street and, um, you know, sell out, basically get out. And so we're interviewing underwriters on Wall Street. And I don't know a damn thing about that. <laughs> and, but man, I was playing the part, you know, we were going from one underwriter to the next, but I remember the first interview, I mean, I just, I felt so much shrinkage in there because, so we were in there with the underwriter and the, all these principles of these companies were in there and were asking questions of these underwriters. And we had two consultants and they were kind of facilitating the meeting. And, and some of the guys were CFOs. They were really sharp guys. They knew what they were doing. And I wanted to look the part. So I, I was kind of silent in the, in the first meeting, first underwriter meeting. And I was writing down all the questions. Mm. And uh, I remember we went to the, to the second meeting and... Um, I started asking the questions I'd written down. And inside of me, I was scared to death that somebody was going to ask me a follow-up question of my question because I didn't, I didn't know what the shit I was talking wow. about. Wow. But I wanted to look the part. But inside, I was just this young boy yes. seeking validation, trying to make myself look good. I mean, it's the pose. It's the fig leaf. Mm. Bart, that's such a 
poignant contrast to a story we talked about earlier when you described this workshop. And I think similarly, there was a lot, a lot that you do know mm -hmm. in construction, but there was a lot in this project that you didn't know. Right. And how you handled I don't know right. with this workshop um, couldn't be more different than how you handled I don't know back then. Yeah, Morgan, and the difference of that was the father part of it, of of having God to father me mm -hmm. because I was this young man, fatherless, but saying, I can do this. Yes. I, I can do yeah. this. Just, just gut it out. Just gut it out. Strength. I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll figure it out. But what this has brought me is a relationship with God. But it's also, when I look back on, on all of that, I mean, I love the building business. I loved all of those years. But there wasn't much joy in it. Mm. Very, very little joy. And what God did to take me back into that core desire, that core area of giftedness of to construct, to build, to create, and to redo this, that relationship with God mm. brought me the joy that I never had mm. when I was young. Bart, that's a really um, important point because... I think we live in a culture that really worships youth. We mm -hmm. idolize youth. And you even think of just the, the culture of worship leaders of, you know, you've got to be sexy, right? right. Sex appeal right. is way more important than godliness if right. you're trying to lead worship. Um, when I observe your life as a younger man, um, first, I, I feel that um, <clears throat> I feel that adoration of youth come up in me and believe, hey, I've got to make it happen now because this is when I'm young and I'm my strength. And to be honest, when I view your life, I would observe that you have more joy, mm -hmm. more adventure, more fulfillment in the context of a larger story than you ever did as a young man, even though you were going after God yeah, back then. Yeah. Would you say that's true? Oh, very, very much true. But back then, I had the appearance of it. Interesting. So the outside world would assume yeah, you that, had it. Yeah, that iceberg above the water is, man, I'm, I mean, I'd, we had... Awesome trips. I mean, ran marathons, ran across the Grand Canyon, did all kinds of things yeah. that were great adventure. But inside was this empty thing. I mean, it just I can remember running across the Grand Canyon thinking, OK, now what, what do I do next? I didn't even have the presence to enjoy what I was doing mm. because it was about next thing, next thing, next thing. Part that's just so important for us younger guys because the temptation is to rearrange the surface mm -hmm. things and we're just tweaking with the 10% above the waterline. Right. But what you're articulating is the battleground is motive, the battleground yes. is heart. And if we don't find the true answers to those deepest questions as a man, right. um, we'll just keep searching and right. searching. And all the while, um, all the while take a pretty destructive course, both self-destructive right. um, and, and frankly one that would bring harm to those under our care as leaders. Right. And Morgan, I think not, not only did I lack the fathering and the relationship with the father, but I think at the core of that was I didn't know how to love well. Mm. Because number one, I, I really hadn't accepted the love of the father. I mean, it was out there on that fence post that we just yes. talked about. When I felt a rush of a father and the presence of a father coming to say, I, I want to be a part of your wow. life. And um, oh, that, that just that brings purpose. Uh, 
to life. The greatest core desire of a man is to know that we're loved. Mm. And then I think after that, God validates us through what we're gifted at. Yes. But the foundation of that has to come from the love of a father to say, son, I love you. I love your life. I love what you're about. Mm. Mm. And I, I didn't have that. Mm. And at late 50s, early 60s, that's what I'm experiencing in all of this wow. that I never had back there. I wish, wish I'd have had it. Bart, one of the things that John's taught us many times is the way we treat our own heart invariably mm -hmm. is how we treat others. So we can say whatever we want to other people, but at the end of the day, we can only extend to other people how we treat ourselves. And as you share those thoughts, I'm aware that you actually treat your heart very differently than you used to, and it affects people. Yeah. Um, I mean, even working on the barn or we're even working on the workshop. You know, I came out here kind of ready to drive, and there were a bunch of times where we stopped and right. had a cigar. Yes. We, we took a walk around the property. You wanted to show me something else. I remember it, that. Right? Yeah. It felt yeah. like a, a kind Yeah, you were kind of taken back, as I remember. It was like, I, I thought we were going to see how many logs we could right. put up. Right, and I've got that same driven yeah. thing. Right. It, it, the effect of an older man who treats his heart well set me at ease. Mm -hmm. Would you would you would you say that's accurate of thinking about how you've treated your own heart and how it's changed over the years? Yeah, Morgan, and I'm I'm still I still have so much to learn in that category, and I think where I found that last uh, last year I went on sabbatical and um, with a man that that gave me some pretty intensive counseling, mm -hmm. and he really disrupted my life by saying he says. I told him about the drivenness and all of that, and I said that that was, I think my motive in life was uh, busyness, just hard work. That was my validation. He says, well, I buy the drivenness part, but he says, what's at the core of that is that you just don't like yourself. Mm. You don't like who you are. Mm. Boy, that, that really set me back. And, and thinking of that, as he exposed that and showed me how it was true in my life, then I began to say, okay, how I treat my heart is yes. how I treat the hearts of other people. Yes. And uh, that exposed a lot of brokenness in my life that I, th I really thought I'd dealt with. Mm. Uh, even that's after walking almost a decade in this message. I mean, that's fresh. That's new, new soil for me. Mm. So that whole concept of being kind to your heart. Yes. I mean, God gives us... The two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, then love others as you love yourself. Mm. So that, that part of loving myself, I really never had contemplated that that relationally had to do with how I treated others and even my relationship with God. Mm. That until I began to treat my own heart right, yes. I was missing a lot of the gospel mm. and a lot of what God had to offer me. Mm. And I think it was through that that I even come back to this and and I, I it's like I say when I walk in here, walking here today just brings me so much joy. Yes. And that I didn't have two years ago. Yes. And um, so that 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 whole concept of how you treat your own heart, Morgan, is mm. is so key. Mm. It's so key to our masculinity. I love the emotion that comes up in you 
when you communicate that about Bart. It's a very emotional thing for me. It's, just, it's true joy. Yeah. Kingdom joy. Yeah, it is. So what if we could rewind, what if we could rewind the clock? Let's go back to the 30s. Mm -hmm. You're a young man, young king, uh, young marriage, young career as a home builder, um, young kids, and uh, you get to do it over with today's wisdom and with today's worldview, with an understanding of warfare, an understanding of healing, an understanding of a larger story, what would you love to do differently? Oh, man. Um, I'd, I'd, I would seek that relationship with God, you know, just address that whole issue of fatherlessness mm -hmm. in my life. Um, I'd do that. And knowing at the core that I'm loved by God, that he made me, he gave me gifting for a purpose. It's part of his larger story to have realized that mm -hmm. instead of the context of, yeah, I believe in God, but I've got to earn my place in the yes. kingdom. Yes. And, and, and that, all that striving yes. comes out of that. Yes. So just to know that I'm loved by a father mm -hmm. and then to treat my own heart right, yep. uh, that would have made a vast difference. Mm. And this transition might have happened decades ago yes. for me. And so, Bart, pushing into those ideas on a very pragmatic level, like baseline, practical, daily living or yearly living in that decade, what are some examples maybe of some just simple external shifts that reflect that internal reality of seeking the father's validation rather than building the career, building the company? Or would it look the same? Are the you answer? talking about back in the so decade you of... Could do it over if again. I could do it over right. in, in the 30s? Yeah, Morgan, I, th I, I believe that... Um, I mean, would your company have looked the same? Well, I, no, it would not have because, I mean, one of the things... My original partner, Mark, just a great, a great believer, and we're closer brothers today than we were back then. Mm -hmm. And for two guys to have gone through what we went through in 20 years of partnership and, and to still have a closer relationship, is that's pretty phenomenal mm -hmm. to do that. But we aligned ourselves with an unbeliever uh, for about seven, eight years of that, that journey. That was a big cost that I made. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it had some... It had some consequences mm -hmm. that 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 played out in the story of my career. Um, I think making margin margin in my life. Mm -hmm. Oh man, um, all the striving. If I hadn't had that category of that, it's up to me. That I've got to strive. I've just got to do the next deal, the next deal, the next deal. Oh, it would have rearranged my world so differently in my marriage. Mm -hmm. I'd have had more time for Tana. Mm -hmm. I was pretty intentional about Chris, um, but there were things that I could have done that were differently and with him and just in my own faith with God. I mean, when, when you live in a performance world, my faith was in a performance world as well. And so um, living without that grace, yes. living in a legalistic faith that depends on performance, it's absolutely soul-killing. Mm. And I, I, I look back on those 
a dec probably two decades of relationship of, I was such an asshole to Tana, to Chris, uh, and to have had that back, mm. to have had the grace of God in my life rather than just a belief and trying to live and strive through everything in my faith, my career. If, if I'd have had that, the husband that I could have been, yes. the father I could have been would have been vastly different. Wow. Bart, I'd love to talk some about generosity. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's some core part of the heart of God, and it's something you, it's, it's really interesting, you don't feel that in yourself, yeah. and yet um, you have to know by the fruit that you've walked in it for years. T t tell me more about that piece of your story. Yeah, yeah, Morgan, I, th I, think, I think the reason I don't feel it, and um, I mean, I'd like to own that, and uh, maybe, maybe I am in some context, but I think it kind of grew out of early in my faith, um, I felt, I felt it was the right thing to do, and so I practiced it, mm -hmm. and I was very faithful about it, and um, so I was generous in that, in that aspect, but I think what was different and what is bringing me around now to, to what your observation is, is it says that we're to give out of a joyful heart. Mm -hmm. I, I never had a joyful heart. The, so the joy has, I think the joy of my life, and um, joy is a category that's only come to me, I, I would say, in the last five years. Wow. And, and, and a lot of that is in the last two years. So I, I think the category of joy with generosity has to go hand in hand. Mm. Because a man who just lives out of obligation towards generosity... Mm -hmm. He's not going to feel he's a generous man mm. because it's just it's performance. Yes, I just didn't give enough. Right, I, di I didn't give enough. It it goes back to that whole whole thing. So I'm growing, and to hear you say that, I mean, I I, I want to believe that and I want to own that. Mm. But and I think I think maybe there's something true about that. Mm. And um, but as you say that, that's what comes to me and. In, in the history of my giving to others, giving to the kingdom, giving to uh, to things is is it's it's come out of that old faith that don't live in the categories that I live in now. Yes, and the restoration of joy is now bringing that joy that a generous heart mm. does bring. Mm. And does that and make sense? It does. And Bart, I hear you saying even out of a joyful heart generosity isn't something that just comes to you overnight. I mean, like you even said, you don't feel necessarily generous, but it's exercised. It's right. something that you practice yes. like a discipline, yes. and it grows within you. Yes. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, um, it's not that I did it all out of obligation, but <clears throat> I just think as the category of relationship with a father, relationship with others, relationship and loving yourself, Boy, as that, that well gets deeper, I think it just flows over into everything. And even the category of, of generosity, I think, I think it's true there as, yeah. as it is in other places. Mm. And what would you say is the, has been the fruit of your generosity in you? So you're generous with not just your finances, your words, your time, um, your ranch, your life. What effect has it had within you as a man? 
Well, um, I think it's I think it's given, you know, um, again, I mean, it's that that whole thing of validation. And um, I, I, I don't want to go where, you know, depending on how generous you were is what the degree of validation. But I think I think it really comes to the to the core thing of that. I do have something to offer. Yes. That uh, it has a place yep. and um, it's needed. Yes. I think I think that's that's what generosity kind of brings up in me. Yeah. Yeah, it's good, Bart. Bart, one of the particular categories I've watched you live in over the last decade and a half or so um, that's really moved me as a younger man is your parenting mm-hmm. and watching you walk with Chris. You know, you and Tana have one son. Um, and from the stories you've told, it um, it hasn't always gone great. I remember there's a story you told me years ago about baseball practice. Yes. And uh, you remember that story? Oh, yeah. And dropping Chris off. Oh. I'd just love to hear that again, just to remember. Oh, yeah. I want to get to oh. your strengths as a parent, but I want to get to some of those stories of the mess. Well, I mean, I, I think this goes under the category of, of uh, you know, Morgan, I love the story you tell about Joshua, you know, when, when he, he says... <laughs> Hey, Daddy, we're brothers, and yes. uh, you say, "Well, oh yeah, I guess so," and and you kind of push into it, yeah. and he says, "Well, God's your father, and God's my father. That makes us brothers, right?" Exactly. And so this this was a similar moment where I think Chris was not my brother, but was actually fathering me, wow. and I remember uh, he was twelve years old. It was Christmas time, uh, Christmas holidays in Southern California, and uh, Chris played baseball, played 13 years of baseball. And that was his sport. That's what he loved. And so there was a baseball clinic offered by one of the local colleges by their baseball team. And so they were inviting kids from 12 to 16 to come to the, come to the clinic. And so we had uh, made arrangements and I was going to take Chris that day to the clinic and go pick him up. And, um, uh, cause Tana had something else to do. Mm And so I, uh, I remember when um, it, it, it was the morning of that time, and I was supposed to take him over there about late morning, and, and, a, and a friend of mine called and invited me to go someplace, but I really wanted to go. And it was a really a cool place to go. And so I went in and began negotiating with Tana, trying to see if she could rearrange her schedule. Yeah. And, and we got into a pretty big heated argument. She goes, no, I, we... we we settled this. You were going to do this. This, this is what you're going to do. And so, <clears throat> we, we, it got pretty ugly. Mm-hmm. And um, and Chris was kind of present for a lot of it. And so, at the end of it, I said, "Hell, I'll take him. I'll take him." So, you know, just in my anger, I said, "Go get in the car." So, went and got in the car and went and got his friend, who was going to go with it through him, uh, go uh, to the clinic with him. <clears throat> and um, I remember taking him over there, and I was, I was really, I was really, I mean, my, my whole thought concept was, I, I've, I've lost this argument, so I'm going to get Tana to come pick him up. Mm-hmm. It was about winning the argument. And so here's Chris and his buddy in the backseat. So we pull up to the, to the uh, clinic or the, the park where they were doing the clinic, and I remember Chris, um, uh, I turned around and I said, Chris, um, probably your mom's going to pick you up this afternoon. And, um, and so I said, well, they'll, they'll pick you up. And he goes, well, Dad, I think you've got to go sign us in. Um, you're supposed to sign us in. So get out of the car, slam the door. I'm, I'm, I'm just pissed. Mm-hmm. 
and I go stomping across the uh, the baseball diamond to where the sign-up table was, and and uh, these two 12-year-old boys with their mitts and their bats behind me, and and so I signed them in, and and uh, as I was signing them in, the the uh, mm-hmm. the two guys that were signing them in told Chris and his friend says, "Oh, go over there with the guys, and we're going to start here in a few minutes." and so there's about 35 guys over there. So I signed him in, and so Chris and his friend were over there. So I, I walked over there to him. I said, Chris, your, your mom will be here to pick you up this afternoon. And so I turned around and started walking to the car. And uh, Chris was the smallest guy and the, probably the youngest guy there. And all these, I don't know, 30 guys he didn't know, all strangers to him. And, uh, and Chris is kind of a shy kid at that age, just, you know, wasn't very boisterous and so forth. And so I started walking off and I got about halfway across the diamond. And I remember I heard the voice of my son just yell out to me. He says, hey, dad. And uh, I thought it strange because I just said, what would possess him to scream that loud at me? And and so when I turned, it stopped everything. It's just like that moment in time froze. And I had this clear visual sight with Chris, my son, and, and he hollered back at me. He says, Dad. He says, I love you, Dad. All these boys were listening. And uh, I just welled up inside. And I kind of anemically waved at him and and turned around and got to the car and I just lost it. Mm. That, oh, just this, this moment that my son, my son exposed me for what was in my heart. Yes. It was a moment I'll never forget. Or it's, it's beautiful to think of the juxtaposition of the pain of that story and yet you and Chris have an amazing relationship now. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. of the verse that we really fall back on in parenting of love covers a multitude of sins. Right. There's just this extravagant grace that says, I'll cover yes. it. Yes. You know, it's never too late. Yeah. Um, so what is it at the core of your heart as a father um, when you think of parenting Chris? Um, in parenting the heart, um, because obviously it, you turned a corner. Um, what would you say to us younger men that have these young kids and are trying to figure it out as it relates to parenting? Yeah, um, that cracking you hear is the expansion of the roof and the sun. That's so, awesome. Yeah, it's it. one of the things I love, it's just the character real. of this place. Yeah, Morgan, I think as I think of that question, um, it's giving what I didn't have. Mm. Um, and I think it's the love of the love of a father. And, and I knew my dad loved me, but he was such a broken man because of just all of his brokenness yes. that, that he dealt with. Um, I, I knew he loved me, but I, I never felt his love, mm-hmm. never experienced his love, but I, I kind of knew it was there. Um, but I think my intentionality with Chris in parenting was I wanted to give him what I didn't have. Yes. And man, I fell short just like that story. I fell short in so many ways. But I think the intentionality and the growing in that 
Um, and I think of the hundreds of hours we spent in the cockpit together. Uh, flying, you know, punching holes in clouds. And, and the times that we... Uh, um, I'll never forget one great adventure that we had. Uh, we were flying back in and um, to John Wayne Airport one night, and uh, the airport was about to close, and um, there was a lot. There was a cloud cover over, so we had to. We had to. We were on an instrument approach, flying through the clouds, and you kind of fly on a beam mm -hmm. to get to the end of the runway. It's called an ILS. And uh, they were trying to hurry us down. Uh, we were in our old airplane, one seven Papagoff, and the, we were on the control tower, been switched off from from uh, SoCal, and they had. Um, it's, we were talking to the tower, and they said, uh, one seven Papagoff, keep your speed up. You've got a, a 757 right behind you, mm -hmm. you know, seven miles behind you, Jeez. and he's doing 60 knots faster than you are, oh and he's got to get on the ground in five minutes. Yeah. Or the airport closes, he's got to go to L.A., or he's got to divert because there's a curfew there. So we're hurrying down this, this, this uh, ILS, and we break out of the clouds at 900 feet, and... I'm slowing the airplane tra down, trying to trying to get it uh, uh, off at the first intersection because this guy's closing mm -hmm. the distance on me. And so, um, when we uh, when we touch down, I hit the brakes, the right wheel locks, and we had a blowout on that mm -hmm. tire. The tire blew out, and we we started making a. It started just going in the direction of the turn of the of the of the tire. And so, when we finally came to rest, we were on the edge of the runway pointed the way we had just come in and um, and the tower is screaming you one seven papa golf what's going on you know i said I, I can't get off the runway and it three quarters of a mile at 900 feet out of the clouds comes this 757 bearing down on us at 150 knots mm. and um, and i remember the tower did a great job they they uh they called the guy off but um a big jet like that, there's a big lag time and when they put the, put the uh, power back in. And so when that airplane came over us, I mean, it was just a few feet over 1-7 Papa Golf and the vortices that come off the wingtips and the, and the, the uh, engine turbulence and so forth just buffeted mm. our little airplane. But that time that, that time that we saw that, Chris and I looked at each other and... Um, we were locked in this adventure together. It was a transcendent moment. I'll never forget with my son. Uh, we talk about that mm. a lot. I mean, it's a story I really haven't shared that much. But, uh, but it's those kinds of moments yes. that we've lived together that I want to be his dad. Yes. I want to be there. I want to share his life. I want to share my life, and I want him to know that at the foundation, I love him. Yes. And I love his life, and I love who he is. Mm -hmm. Or for you to say, I want to give him what I didn't have. But, and now you have it. And mm -hmm. now you have it from your true father, mm -hmm. and you have this reservoir of fathering that's coming to you as a son. And all these stories, you're giving Chris your time, you're giving him your being present, giving him your intimacy, 
you're giving him that shared adventure. Yes. And he's getting the father heart of God through you. Right. He's getting something that you didn't have. Right. And you're both being fathered together. Yes. Yes. That's phenomenal. Well, and I love that your best adventures are ahead. I mean, I right. love how often you tell me stories of, of the not yet. Yeah. All the things you get. That airplane there. I think there's going to be a lot of stories in that That's thing. awesome. I hope you guys have a great time. Yeah. You're going to be in it too. Awesome. <laughs> You know, Bart, we've traveled a lot of miles together, and uh, I remember coming to you when I was 30 um, with my rope and knots and driving things into the mountain. And externally, life looked really good mm -hmm. for me, and internally, struggling with depression and discouragement, not understanding my life. Um, and your counsel really set me at ease and mm -hmm. helped give me a direction and show me those ancient steps, and it's just such a holy space to get to capture some of some of your thoughts today and share it with other yeah, young men right um other advice other advice that you'd have for men in general or some categories yeah. um, us young guys that are young kings in training that are right in the throes of this decade I mean, right. we've obviously offered some gold are there any other nuggets that you feel are are important to your story that you yeah morgan i remember those conversations with you and i think I think part of it, we talked about risk, mm -hmm. and I think the message that I was trying to communicate to you was to um, risk young while you're young mm -hmm. um, because it costs less. But I've really learned just in my own journey from the time that we've had that conversation um, about risk is that principle is still true. but. I was thinking more in the category of if you're going to take financial risk and yeah. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and all that's good and profound knowledge. But, but I think the one thing I would say is to risk love. Mm. I, I think it's the greatest risk that we can take because we're the most vulnerable mm. in that. Um, to risk relationship, to risk love, because I think everything, everything flows out of that. Mm. Um, because I, I, I think I did not take a lot of risk. I took a lot of risk. Interesting. But I didn't take a lot of risk in that. And that, to me, as I look back, is, is one of those things that I missed. But risking love, I, I don't care what age you are, but, um, but profoundly, I think, to capture that concept of loving God. Yes. Because in that comes the validation of a father loving you. Yes. That's the foundation of all of our validation yep. is that, that part. In loving others, um, there's sometimes a great risk in that mm -hmm. because you just, you don't want to do it, but that's worth it. Mm. And then risking loving yourself. Um, so as I think of the category of risk, the one thing I would say is, you know, all of those things is risk young, but the greatest risk of all is to risk love. Mm. Risk love. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Thanks, Bart. Yeah. Mm.